1: Winbet is now live in all of these states and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, Winbet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free thousand dollar sports bet. Download the Winbet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 209 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, December 16th, 2021. And as I tape this at 4.16 a.m. Thursday morning, we are just hours removed from major breaking NFL news early this morning. The Jacksonville Jaguars firing head coach Urban Meyer. Boy that did not take long. The Jags hired Urban this past January, signed him to a reported five-year contract, and he ends up not even lasting for one full season. The Jags are two and 11, have been an absolute mess, all kinds of internal issues regarding Urban Meyer, and now he is out. And I bring this up especially because, as you may recall, There was a thing between Urban Meyer and our NFL team. The team currently known as the Washington football team. Not that long ago, Urban Meyer came up a lot with Washington for a while in 2019 and 2020. Go back to two years ago at this time. December 15th, 2019, Washington fell to three and eleven with a 37-27 loss to the Philadelphia Eagles at FedEx Field. That was a great game, as you may recall, for Dwayne Haskins. He was terrific. That was easily the best game of his NFL career up until that point. 19-28 for 261 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took no sacks. He had four carries for 26 yards, including a huge and gutsy third-and-one, 23-yard run on a speed option play late in the third quarter. I'll never forget Haskins' performance in this game. He was really good. And who was in attendance at that game? Urban Meyer. Off Washington, having fired Jay Gruden as head coach in October 2019. Off Washington, having promoted Bill Callahan to interim head coach. Urban was at FedEx Field and was seen in Dan Snyder's owner's box prior to the game. Now, Terry McLaurin after the game Said that Urban was there as McLaurin's invited guest, emphasized that Urban's presence at FedEx Field had nothing to do with Washington's head coaching vacancy. Uh, we also had this Britt Hume, senior political analyst for Fox News Channel, tweeted the following: the day after this game, quote, Meyer told me he was in town for a White House Christmas party after attending the Army-Navy game Saturday, asked if he might consider the Redskins' job. I think I'm done coaching, he said. He said he knew his presence at the game Sunday would trigger speculation, Uh, end quote. Britt Hume is a big Skins fan, and he actually made some news with his reporting on Urban Meyer potentially being a factor in the Skins' head coaching vacancy at the time. There also was this, Washington's 2020 schedule, when it was officially released May 7th, 2020, uh, in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, featured Urban Meyer. Uh, The team conducted a virtual schedule release party that very interestingly included Urban Meyer. But of course, Washington in January 2020 hired Ron Rivera, not Urban Meyer, as Washington head coach. And thank goodness for that. Hello and welcome to a Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. What is sadly the final installment of the pod for this week? I know, I know, I'm not happy about it either, but my sister's wedding is on Friday. Now, she's already married. Uh, She and her husband got married last December, but they lived in Chicago at the time. And if you know anything about Chicago, if you know anything about all Chi-Town over the last few years, you know that Chicago was on lock. Due to COVID 19. So there was no wedding celebration. The wedding celebration is happening on Friday. I am supposed to give a speech at the rehearsal dinner on Thursday night. Maybe I'll just replay a segment from this podcast. We'll see. But no show for Friday. I hate that that's the case, but such is life. I'll only be missing uh, that one day. I'll be back in full force with a show for you on Monday. And what, oh, what will we be discussing? On Monday, will the Washington football team have won its big game at the Philadelphia Eagles, or will the Washington football team have lost its big game at the Eagles? Well, I guess the Washington football team may have tied its big game at the Eagles, but you get where I'm coming from. Washington's COVID 19 mess on Wednesday, unfortunately, got even messier as Washington added eight more players to the reserve COVID-19 list including Kyle Allen, Matt Ionidas and Cam Sims. The hits just keep on a coming. Uh, a full report on and my reaction to all of this next segment. I'll also get into Washington's quarterback situation for Sunday if Kyle Allen is not available for this game at the Eagles. Wait till you hear what Ron Rivera said on Wednesday about the guy who could be Washington's backup quarterback. For Sunday. I'll also discuss Washington's starting quarterback, Taylor Heineke. Uh, He, like Ron, spoke via post practice Zoom press conference on Wednesday. Uh, Heineke seems to be doing well health wise and hopefully is poised to bounce back this Sunday off his rough performance in the loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field this past Sunday. Uh, Also on the show, lots to get to from games on Wednesday night. A wild Capitals game, a 5-4 overtime loss at the Chicago Blackhawks that included the cap scoring with three seconds left in the third period, included the season debut of Nicholas Backstrom, included Evgeny Kuznetsov perhaps having COVID-19 again, and included Alex Ovechkin tying Dave Anderchuk for the most regular season power play goals in NHL history. We had yet another bad Wizards loss. The Wiz choked away a 12-point third quarter lead in a 119-105 loss at the Sacramento Kings late night on Wednesday night. And we had Georgetown digging down deep into its roster for an 85-73 win over Howard at Capital One Arena. A reminder to subscribe to the Al Galdi podcast if you don't already do that. Subscribing Cost you nothing. Make sure that you never miss an episode. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the podcast at yahoo.com. Lots of feedback to all of our discussion about the Washington football team on Wednesday's show, episode 208. A tweet from Paul Evans off the lengthy piece by the Washington Post on Dan Snyder allegedly having worked to disrupt The Beth Wilkinson investigation uh, tweets, Paul, the cover up in this case is just as bad as the crime. If this doesn't do it, nothing will. Uh, It being the ouster of Dan Snyder as Washington owner. Uh, Look, you never say never. Anything is possible. So many uh, unforeseen things have happened with Washington over the last two years. But I am not counting on this resulting in the ouster of Dan Snyder as Washington owner. Tweet from Tim Holt. Snyder has destroyed the franchise with a fan base that craves a slice of the winning tradition. The last 20 plus years of his ownership are deplorable. If Snyder is studied in business classes one day, it'll be every single way on how not to own a successful business. Yeah, you could do that. You could teach a college course on how not to run a business and just use what Dan Snyder has done with the team currently known as the Washington football team as the case study. Like that could be the entire course. A tweet from Rob, it's the Washington Post that has had it out for him for decades. He isn't going anywhere. It's clickbait for them. So I want to address this, this idea of the Washington Post having it out for Dan Snyder, because I've seen some of that. So it actually, to me, is true that the Washington Post has had it out for Dan Snyder for years. Uh, There has very much been. An anti-Dan Snyder sentiment from the Washington Post for a long time. Now, you might say, well, that anti-Dan Snyder sentiment from the Post is justified. But to me, the Post's coverage of Dan Snyder at times has been over the top. I do think that it's accurate to say that. Uh, the Post's one-sided coverage of the firing of Scott McLuhan was over the top and unfair. Uh, you know, columnist Sally Jenkins for The Post. Like every five minutes, she writes a column crushing Dan Snyder. To me, it's become too much. Like the columns are good and well done. But I mean, how many times are you going to write the same column just trashing Dan Snyder? So there is an anti-Dan Snyder sentiment from The Washington Post. However, however, the Post's reporting on this workplace misconduct scandal, as best as we can tell, has been meticulous and has been accurate. you know. If it comes out that the Post has been wrong about a bunch of stuff in this scandal, trust me, I will be the first one to crush the Post for being responsible for fake news. Uh, I was basically the only person who called out the one-sided reporting on the firing of Scott McLuhan in March 2017. That to me was some biased reporting, but as far as we know, the Post has been doing excellent work with the papers reporting on the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal. And yes, Rob, you are probably right in saying that Dan Snyder isn't going anywhere. As I've been saying, all that Danny has done through these scandals of the last few years is win. We have had all of these scandals slash controversies pop up over the last 18 months, and yet Dan Snyder has emerged more powerful than ever before. Dan Snyder this year has become more powerful than ever before in terms of his ownership of the team. Uh, Email from Andrew Sly off my chat with sports business expert Marty Conway on Wednesday's show. Marty was terrific talking about the Washington football team's fan base problem, including the continued takeovers of FedEx Field by opposing team's fans. Writes Andrew, my buddy and I had season tickets in the early 2000s. We had parking passes in the famed gray lot. Those who were there remember it well. It was a gravel lot that basically required four-wheel drive to park there. Anytime there was wet weather, we would spend about an hour or two after the game helping people get their cars unstuck from the mud pit. However, the best part of the gray lot was the route fans took to the stadium. Walking to the stadium would take about 20 to 25 minutes. Therefore, fans created a plywood land bridge over a creek that cut the travel time in half. Once the land bridge rotted, a fan would bring in another sheet of plywood and so on and so on. It's crazy to look back on what we as a fan base have accepted as a quality fan experience. The show is awesome. Keep the episode count. Well, thank you for that, Andrew. I appreciate that. Yeah, I remember hearing about or seeing the plywood. Uh, That really is incredible. I mean, that really is outrageous that you guys had to deal with that. Season ticket holders are a sports team's most precious fans. That a team, especially a multi-billion dollar NFL team, would allow for something like what went on with the mud pit gray lot at FedEx Field really is a joke. I mean, you know, it's like, it's not funny, okay? It really is absurd that something like that went on. Well, I wouldn't blame anyone with a gray lot parking pass from back in the day for having contacted Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through, big Washington football team fans. I can only imagine what Paulson and Nace makes of all of this Dan Snyder stuff. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Chris Nace is a past president of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. I've known the Naces for years, 25-plus years. These are good people, smart people, who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace wins. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. If you have a case, contact Paulson and NACE. If you feel as if you've been wrong, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and NACE and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and NACE at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and NACE, that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. Well, presumably, if you are listening to this podcast, uh, you are a sports fan. And if you've been a sports fan for any substantial length of time, you perhaps have heard some version of the mantra, never say that things can't get worse because things can always get worse. And of course, that is so true in sports. And we saw another example of why on Wednesday, when the Washington football team's COVID-19 situation indeed got worse. A situation that already was really bad now is worse. The Washington football team on Wednesday, which was the day on which Washington began its practice week for this Sunday afternoon's also big game at the Philadelphia Eagles at one, placed eight more players on the reserve COVID-19 list. Yeah, you have this big game coming up on Sunday, Washington and the Eagles are part of a five-way tie for the third and final wild card spot in the NFC at 6 and 7, and Washington on Wednesday placed eight More players on the reserve COVID-19 list. Those players are quarterback Kyle Allen, offensive tackle Cornelius Lucas, interior defensive lineman Matt Ioannidis, receiver Cam Sims, tight end Samus Reyes, corner Troy Apke, a.k.a. Trap. Uh, Trap has been trapped by COVID-19. Safety Derek Forrest, and linebacker... Milo Eifler. Yes, Washington put Milo Eifler on the reserve COVID-19 list. We have lost Milo. Our playoff hopes are done. No more Milo. Uh, But yeah, Washington on Wednesday put eight more players on the reserve COVID-19 list. This situation is unreal. So if you're keeping score, Washington now has 18 players on the reserve COVID-19 list. Those 18 players are Quarterback Kyle Allen. Interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen, Matt Ioannidis, and Tim Settle. Edge defenders Montez Sweat, James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, and William Bradley King. Corners Kendall Fuller and Troy Apke. Offensive tackle Cornelius Lucas. Receiver Cam Sims. Linebackers David Mayo, Kalik Hudson, and yes, Milo Eifler. uh, Although Kalik already was on the reserve injured list. Safety Derek Forrest tight ends Samus Reyes and Tamara Hemingway. 18 Washington players are on the reserve COVID-19 list. Understand, there are 53 players on an NFL team's active roster. 18 is more than a third of 53. Washington right now has the equivalent of more than a third of a 53-man roster on the reserve COVID-19 list, even though not every player on the reserve COVID-19 list was on the 53 man roster at the time of being placed on the reserve covid-19 list but you get the idea now the washington football team's covid-19 outbreak is a part of a larger covid-19 outbreak in the nfl right now presumably these variants of covid-19 and you know people being indoors more are leading to the outbreak but who knows? I mean, there's so much with this COVID-19 pandemic that keeps changing and that we just don't know. I have seen some people trying to blame Montez Sweat for Washington's COVID-19 outbreak. Poor Montez. He's taking a pounding right now. Uh, it's not fair to just assume that Montez Sweat is responsible for the Washington football team's COVID-19 outbreak. We have no idea what triggered this outbreak, and to just assume that Montez Sweat, because he's not vaccinated for COVID-19, caused this COVID-19 outbreak for Washington, is taking a giant leap. Look, we know that COVID-19 vaccines work in terms of lessening the likelihood of you getting COVID-19 and lessening the severity of COVID-19 if you get COVID-19, but we also know that these COVID-19 vaccines do not guarantee that you will not get it. COVID-19, especially these mutant strains of COVID-19, like the Delta variant and the Omicron variant. So who knows what triggered this COVID-19 outbreak for the Washington football team? The vaccines help, but the vaccines are not the cure-all that we thought and hoped that the vaccines would be. Although, you know, it's funny, it's quite possible that the biggest reason these vaccine-resistant mutations exist is that more people have not gotten vaccinated for COVID nineteen, because people getting vaccinated helps to prevent virus mutations. But whatever. Uh Rod Rivera on Wednesday did a post practice press conference, but he did it via Zoom as Washington now is in enhanced COVID nineteen protocols. Ron got asked if he knows how Washington's COVID nineteen outbreak started.
2: Um, no, not really, to be honest with you. I mean, it could be a number of things. Could have been, you know, could have been the fact that we were all the way in um you know, uh, traveling from, you know, from, from Nevada back here, and, you know, everybody was in close proximity in the airplane. Could have popped up at any point and, and then just spread. I mean, that's, you know, and, and, and the way it's spreading, you know, you almost wonder if it's the new variant.
1: You do wonder if it's the new variant, if it is the Omicron variant. And remember, we on Monday evening had multiple reports that a tier three staffer. For the Washington football team had tested positive for the Omicron variant of COVID-19, becoming the first known case of someone in the NFL having the Omicron variant of COVID-19. More from Ron on Wednesday on Washington's COVID-19 outbreak perhaps being due to the Omicron variant of COVID-19.
2: You know, nobody expected this variant. Uh, you know, and and I'm almost leaning towards the fact that because it's spreading so quickly around around the league right now, then it's just you know you almost feel it's a matter of time. And I don't think anybody expected it to be like this. I mean, this is this is a little bit more beyond what we had anticipated. You know, I, I think that the thought might be that you know guys that hadn't got um, vaccinated might have come down with it at some point or another. Um, not that it would it would be a, a crossover. Um, Because for the most part, most of our guys, you know, are are guys that were vaccinated.
1: Now, there's an important point to keep in mind with all of this. Not every Washington player on the reserve COVID-19 list necessarily has COVID-19. And as far as we know, most of Washington's players have been vaccinated for COVID-19, meaning their path to coming off the reserve COVID-19 list is easier Then the path for those on the reserve COVID-19 list who have not been vaccinated for COVID-19, although the belief is that two of Washington's players who have not been vaccinated for COVID-19 are two prominent players currently on the reserve COVID-19 list, Montez Sweat and Kendall Fuller. This is Ron Rivera on Wednesday on if there's a chance that Washington might get back some of these guys currently on the reserve COVID-19 list for Sunday's game at the Eagles.
2: Uh, there is, but I mean, we'll see. You, you don't know and you don't know how this, 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 this situation is going to go.
1: No, you don't. Now, with the NFL as a whole dealing with a major COVID-19 problem right now, I do think that this could, in an odd way, end up leading to some less stringent COVID-19 protocols in the NFL. And in fact, there is growing momentum in this regard. There is, to me, very much a case to be made that a player who tests positive for COVID-19, but has been vaccinated for COVID-19, has been boosted for COVID-19, and is asymptomatic of COVID-19, shouldn't have to miss any time, or at the very least should have as easy of a path as possible to being back with the team. Now, you know, I am not an epidemiologist, okay, but this does make sense to me. Like, I don't think it's outrageous to say That if you test positive for COVID-19, but you have been vaccinated for COVID-19, you have been boosted for COVID-19, and you are asymptomatic of COVID-19, you shouldn't have to miss any time. Like, I don't think that's crazy to say. Uh, Look, most, if not all, NFL players have done just fine with COVID-19, even when not vaccinated for COVID-19. If you have been vaccinated and have been boosted and are asymptomatic, what are we doing here in terms of making you miss a game or games especially, and nobody ever brings this up, considering that there is zero proof of on-field spread of COVID-19 during games. Yeah, zero proof. Remember before the 2020 NFL season started, you had all of the fear mongers out there saying, oh, the season will never happen in totality, and oh, there's no way Uh, this season can be completed. And oh, what is the NFL doing in trying to have a football season in the middle of a pandemic? There is zero proof of on-field spread of COVID-19. And that's not like me saying that. That's the CDC that has said that. An article came out this past January 25th by the Associated Press about the CDC having published a scientific paper jointly authored with medical experts from the NFL and NFL Players Association, detailing the efforts to complete the NFL's 2020 regular season and postseason without any canceled games due to COVID-19. And how about this from Dr. Alan Sills, the league's chief medical officer, quote, we have not seen any evidence of on-field transmission in NFL games or practices. I think that is an important observation. It's certainly a question that many people raised before we started as to why that occurred. I think there are a number of theories that people have advanced. One of them is that obviously we're playing either in an open area or at least an extremely large air environment where we've got a lot of ventilation, a lot of movement, and likely quick dispersal of any droplets or particles, end quote. So I do very much think that the NFL, at the very least, should be seriously considering allowing players who test positive for COVID-19 but have been vaccinated for COVID-19, have been boosted for COVID-19, and are asymptomatic of COVID-19 to continue playing in games. Ron Rivera seems to agree. Dr. Ron seems to agree. Uh, Ron on Wednesday got asked if there's anything with the NFL's COVID-19 protocols that he would like to see changed. And here's what he said.
2: Well, I mean, you know, I saw an interesting um, um, article in, in, in one of the um, things today talking about, um, you know, that that guys are are testing positive and they're asymptomatic. You know, and you'd almost wonder, well, you know, does does that does that group should that that player that t- tests asymptomatic be able to play? I mean, I think that's a that's a discussion for the for the doctors, you know, to, to, for the experts to, to be able to tell us one way or the other. Um, other than that, you know, we just got to be careful.
1: Yes, you do. Be careful, but be rational. COVID-19 doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. So to me, we need to protect the elderly, protect the vulnerable, deploy resources, especially to those communities uh, in most need of resources because those communities are suffering the most. With COVID 19, we need to behave unselfishly, but we also need to behave rationally and to behave in accordance with the facts, you know, facts over fear. Now, speaking of the vulnerable, uh, Rod Rivera is vulnerable. Rod Rivera has a pre existing condition. Rod Rivera is immunocompromised due to his cancer battle last year. Rod on Wednesday on if he has any concerns for himself with Washington being in the midst of this COVID-19 outbreak?
2: Not necessarily. I mean, um, I've got my booster. You know, I've, I've, I've tried to do that. I mean, I'm masking up whenever I'm in a crowd or whenever I'm in, you know, around people. I'm trying to be diligent. And, uh, you know, we'll just continue to, to, to try and follow the guidelines.
1: Now, what about the prospect of Sunday's game for Washington at Philadelphia being postponed? due to Washington's COVID-19 outbreak. We know that the NFL doesn't want to postpone any games this season, let alone cancel any games this season due to COVID-19. Last season, the NFL did postpone games due to COVID-19, but the NFL did not cancel a single game due to COVID-19. Ron on Wednesday was asked if there has been any discussion about Sunday's game for Washington at Philadelphia being postponed.
2: No, no, not that I know of. Um, you know, we've been we've been working. Um, you know, I I guess the powers that be maybe the ones discussing it, but uh we've been told nothing.
1: All right. Ron later in his post practice press conference on Wednesday got asked again about whether there has been any discussion about Sunday's game for Washington at Philadelphia being postponed. And Ron added this.
2: We'll have to wait and see what, what goes on. I mean there there's you know there's other teams that are in, in in the same type of situation as we are, we see Cleveland as you know in a tough spot because they play on Saturday, um, you know, and and so we'll see if they're going to do something for them as well. I mean, that's a that's a tough spot because they they actually lose a day of preparation.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, by the way, there's also this: a number of Washington football team players were listed as not practicing on Wednesday. Uh, now, Washington on Wednesday essentially did a walkthrough as opposed to a full-scale practice. But Washington's injury report for Wednesday listed seven Washington active roster players as not practicing. Receiver Terry McLaurin did not practice on Wednesday due to him being in concussion protocol. Receiver Curtis Samuel did not practice on Wednesday, not due to his groin, but due to a hamstring ailment that he's now dealing with. Running back J.D. McKissick did not practice on Wednesday off Him having missed each of the last two games due to a concussion. Center Tyler Larson did not practice on Wednesday due to the Achilles injury that he suffered in the loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field this past Sunday. The man who would be Washington's starting center for this Sunday if Larson is out, Keith Ismail, did not practice on Wednesday due to illness. Uh, Hopefully, he doesn't have COVID-19. And then two key special teams players for Washington did not practice on Wednesday. Corner Troy Apke did not practice on Wednesday due to illness, and he then later was placed on the reserve COVID-19 list. And linebacker Jordan Kanashik did not practice on Wednesday due to a hamstring injury that had him inactive for the loss to the Cowboys. So it's not just that Washington has a COVID-19 outbreak right now. Washington is also still very much dealing with injury. Uh, Two Washington players were limited in practice on Wednesday, right guard Brandon Sheriff and linebacker Cole Holcomb. Uh, Each guy is dealing with an ankle issue. Sheriff did a post-practice Zoom press conference on Wednesday, said that he, in practice on Wednesday, took snaps at center. Yeah, Washington could need Brandon Sheriff to play center on Sunday. Brandon Sheriff. Yes, Commissioner, that guy, Brandon Sheriff. By the way, Eagles quarterback Jalen Hurts was limited In practice on Wednesday due to an ankle. The Eagles are coming off their bye. Their last game was a 33 18 win at the New York Jets in week 13. Hertz was inactive for that game due to the ankle. Gardner Minshew was the Eagles' starting quarterback, and he was really good 20 25 for 242 yards, two touchdowns, and no interceptions. Of course, he was facing the Jets. The good news for Washington on Wednesday, and there wasn't much good news, but the good news for Washington on Wednesday was twofold. First of all, Washington on Wednesday did designate offensive tackle Samuel Cosme to return to practice. So potentially Samuel Cosme could be back for Washington for Sunday's game at the Eagles. Samuel Cosme has been on the reserve injured list since November 29th due to a hip injury that he suffered in the win-win at the Carolina Panthers in Week 11. Cosby in that game returned off having not played in the previous four games due to an ankle injury. Also on Wednesday, Taylor Heineke was a full participant in practice. Up next, I'll talk Taylor Heineke, as we'll hear from him and Ron Rivera on how Heineke is doing health-wise, and we'll hear from Heineke on his uh, not-so-good performance in the loss to the Cowboys. But I mentioned Rod Rivera's cancer battle from last year. Skin cancer is what Ron Rivera dealt with last year. He dealt with squamous cell carcinoma. Uh, Skin cancer is a real problem in this country. Skin cancer is among the most common of all cancers in the United States. If you have concerns about your skin, if you are dealing with skin cancer, if you have had skin cancer and haven't seen a doctor in a while, always know that Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist, and Moe Surgeon is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan and listener of this podcast and operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland diagnoses and treats a broad range of acute and chronic skin conditions including skin cancer. Dr. Verghese and his team offer state-of-the-art treatments for skin cancer including something that's a game changer, superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is safe, effective, and non-surgical. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects, cosmetic and otherwise, that come with surgery. You have options. SRT is an option. And Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer the option of SRT unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again is 301-396-3401, or visit MidAtlanticSkin.com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region. We continue the Washington football team conversation Off the team's COVID-19 outbreak getting even worse on Wednesday. Washington placing eight more players on the reserve COVID-19 list, including quarterback Kyle Allen. So Washington's QB2, who began the season as the QB3, may not be available for Sunday afternoon's big game at the Philadelphia Eagles at 1. But Washington's QB1, who began the season as the QB2, is looking to be in at least pretty good shape for Sunday, unless he tests positive for COVID-19. But Taylor Heineke on Wednesday was a full participant in in Washington football team practice. Very good news. Uh, Heineke, in the loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field this past Sunday, dealt with elbow and knee issues, left the game twice, the last time for good. Uh, Heineke was listed as a full participant for practice on Wednesday and was only listed as dealing with a right elbow issue. Heineke on Wednesday did a post-practice Zoom press conference. This was Heineke on how he's feeling.
3: Uh, yeah, I feel good. Uh, just a little banged up. Um. Little sore, but you know I feel good. I should be fine on Sunday. I felt good today at practice, so um, everything's pretty, pretty smooth sailing right now.
1: All right, which ailment is the bigger issue for Heineke—the elbow or the knee?
3: Definitely the elbow. Um, You know, there's some bruising there, and it's it's tender and hurts a little bit. But um, you know, the knee—the knee, thank God, is fine. Um, Dude's helmet just hit me right there on the kneecap, bruised it a little bit, but nothing structurally bad. Um, but again, you know, I went out to practice today, I threw the ball and elbow didn't hurt while I was throwing. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's all, all around good news.
1: Washington can use all of the good news that the team can get right now. Here was Ron Rivera at his post-practice Zoom press conference on Wednesday on whether there's confidence that Taylor Heineke will be good to go for Sunday at the Eagles.
2: Yeah, it looks like it. I mean, He practiced well today. You know, I know there was some concern about his elbow and, you know, more so than anything else. It's, it's, it's been sore. Um, you know, he's treated it the last three days and, and then came out today and, and really didn't seem to have any issues.
1: Very good to hear that. Now, I mentioned uh, only half jokingly. Uh, what if Taylor Heineke tests positive for COVID-19? Here was Heineke on Wednesday on Kyle Allen going on the reserve COVID-19 list.
3: Well, you know, uh, I tested yesterday and came back negative and he tested yesterday and came back positive. So, um, you know, it, it, it's unfortunate that, you know, he, he tested positive. I've talked to him. He said he feels fine. Um, so that's good news. Um, but again, for me, you know, I, I just can't I can't control, um, you know, what that test says. I, I, I try to be as careful as I can and try to be available for this team on, you know, throughout the week and on Sunday. And um you know, I just try and go throughout my day, every day, and um, we'll see what happens. But again, you know, we're all trying to be careful. We're all trying to be, you know, available throughout the week. And um, again, who, who knows what's going to happen?
1: Exactly. Who knows? Uh, Heineke has a lot of respect for Kyle Allen and has leaned on Kyle Allen. Heineke has admitted to that. This was Heineke on Wednesday on if he loses anything if Kyle Allen is not on Washington's sideline on Sunday.
3: Yeah, a little bit uh, for sure. Um, I've been with him for, I want to say, like three years now. Um, and he's a good friend of mine and he sees, He sometimes he sees stuff I don't see. And uh, so, you know, you guys know sometimes I get emotional on the sideline when things aren't going well. And, you know, he's, I know he's younger than me, but he's, he's also played more games than I have. So he's more, you know, veteran than me at that aspect. And, um, you know, we help each other out tremendously. So yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm going to miss him this week if he's not able to be back, but, um, you know, I think Sherman does a great job as well uh, of doing the same thing. So, um, you know, again, I, I have all the faith in those guys in the in the in the room there with me.
1: Okay, as for Taylor Heineke's performance, uh, how he plays on Sunday at the Eagles matters a lot. Like to me, nothing matters more from a Washington football team perspective. If Taylor Heineke plays well, Washington has a chance to win this game, even with all of Washington's injuries and COVID-19 absences. But if Heineke this Sunday plays as he did last Sunday, well, forget about it, okay? I mean, Washington is going to have like no chance of winning the game. Uh, Taylor Heineke is coming off what was to me his worst game as a Washington quarterback. Heineke now has played in 15 games, including 13 starts as a Washington quarterback, talking regular season and postseason. His worst game was this last game. Heineke was really bad in Sunday's loss to the Cowboys. His total QBR per ESPN for the game was 4.9. QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100. And look, Taylor Heineke was far from Washington's only problem on offense on Sunday. But he was the biggest problem. Uh, And Washington's offense ended up being a really big problem in the game. Washington's offense in the loss to the Cowboys averaged just 3.6 yards per play, went just 3 of 14 on third downs and committed three turnovers. Heineke on Wednesday on what the heck went wrong for him and Washington's offense overall in Sunday's loss to the Cowboys.
3: You know, they just, they got after us. Um, You kind of go back and look at offensively, you know, what went wrong. And it's kind of what happened in our four game skid. Uh, Everyone took a turn, you know, whether it was you know, me making a poor decision or there was a missed block or a holding or, a, you know, a wrong route or a drop ball. You know, we all just took our turn and we couldn't get the ball rolling. Um, and it's tough to beat a good team like that, you know, when you're beating yourself. So, um, you know, the, the biggest thing for us is just to have a short, you know, short memory, um, come back this week and 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 try and build on and get back to where we were. So and that's what we're doing.
1: That's what you should be doing. Uh, Heideke really has been a high variance quarterback this season. It's funny, he is starting in place of Ryan Fitzpatrick, who himself is a high-variance quarterback, and Heineke has been Fitzpatrick-esque in Heineke's High variance nature this season. Taylor Heineke's best games have been great games. The win over the New York Giants at FedEx Field on Thursday Night Football in week two. The win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. The win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in week 10. The win at the Carolina Panthers in week 11. Heineke was great in all of those games, but Heineke's bad games uh, have been quite bad. The loss at the Buffalo Bills in week three. The loss. To the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field in Week 5. The loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field in Week 6. The loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field in Week 14. So hopefully Haneke is good this Sunday. And hopefully Haneke is good to go for Sunday at the Eagles. But Kyle Allen may not be good to go. And if Kyle Allen is out for Sunday due to being on the reserve COVID-19 list, then that will make... Kyle Shermer, Washington's number two quarterback. One Kyle will be out and another Kyle will be in. Kyle Shermer, he is on Washington's practice squad. Washington, this past September 13th, signed Kyle Shermer to the practice squad. Kyle Shermer played at Vanderbilt from 2015 through 2018. He was signed by the Kansas City Chiefs as an undrafted free agent in April 2019, has also spent time with the Cincinnati Bengals, but Kyle Shermer has never appeared in an NFL regular season game. Kyle Shermer is the son of Denver Broncos offensive coordinator Pat Shermer, who also has served as an NFL head coach. He was the head coach of the New York Giants 2018 and 2019. He was the head coach of the Cleveland Browns 2011 and in 2012. Ron Rivera on Wednesday was asked about Kyle Shermer. Uh, this is where we are with Washington's COVID-19 situation. Ron now is getting asked about Kyle Shermer, uh, but here was Ron on Kyle Shermer.
2: Well, you know, um, Kyle's got a good arm. He's uh, got a quick twitch. He, he makes good decisions. He's very smart, very bright. Uh, he's got a football mind, so he's picked everything up well. Um, he's got decent command as he as he steps in. I mean it you know haven't seen a lot of him, but you've watched, watched him in the huddles today, thought he did a nice job you know getting the uh, the play calls out and getting everybody lined up and ready to go so um you know he's a he's a young man that that hopefully doesn't have to get an opportunity. We'll be okay with that, and uh we'll go from there
1: yeah, Don Ron clearly is in no hurry to play Kyle Shermer Ron literally said he's a young man that hopefully doesn't have to get an opportunity, we'll be okay with that. <laughs> like, how often does a head coach talk about a player like that?
2: Um, you know, he's a, he's a young man that, that hopefully doesn't have to get an opportunity. We'll be okay with that, and uh, we'll go from there.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's outstanding. Uh, now, Washington on Wednesday did sign a quarterback. Washington on Wednesday signed quarterback Jordan Ta'amu to the practice squad. Jordan Ta'amu. That name may sound familiar. Jordan Ta'amu participated in Washington's rookie minicamp this past May. Jordan Ta'amu has also spent time with the Houston Texans, Kansas City Chiefs, and Detroit Lions. He played collegiately at Ole Miss in the 2017 and 2018 seasons. But here is the best fact of all about Jordan Tamu. He was the starting quarterback for the St. Louis Battlehawks of the XFL in 2020. Jordan Tamu's backup quarterback with the St. Louis Battlehawks was Taylor Heineke. Up next, crazy game for the Capitals on Wednesday night. I'll get to that after this. Well, we had a wild game for the Capitals on Wednesday night. Caps fell to 17-5-7, a 5-4 overtime loss at the Chicago Blackhawks. Caps now are tied for second in the NHL with 41 points. So there is a lot to get to with this game. So first of all, the Caps got back three key players, including Nicholas Backstrom. We can no longer say that Nicky Backstrom has yet to play this season. He finally has played this season. Nicholas Backstrom made his regular season debut. Backstrom uh, made his regular season debut of having been out since the start of Capitals training camp due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. Uh, Backstrom underwent hip surgery all the way back in May 2015. Cap Senior Vice President and General Manager Brian McClellan in a press conference on September 23rd said, that Backstrom was dealing with wear and tear on the hip off the surgery. It took quite a while for Backstrom to play this season, but he finally played, and he looked good on Wednesday night. Backstrom played for 18 minutes, 14 seconds, had a secondary assist, had five shots on goal. Also, Nick Dowd returned off having missed the Caps' previous four games due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. And defenseman Trevor Van Riemsdyk returned off having missed the Caps' previous four games due to being in in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. So all of that was good, but the Caps remained without a number of key players. You know, this capital season has been practically defined by all of the players who the Caps have missed. And so while the Caps on Wednesday night got back a key center in Nicholas Backstrom, the Caps also were without a key center in Evgeny Kuznetsov. He did not play on Wednesday night due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol, so here we go again. Now with Kuzi and COVID-19, not sure if he has COVID-19 again or just has been deemed a close contact. But remember, Evgeny Kuznetsov last season had COVID-19 twice, and he had some issues with COVID-19. Kuznetsov had some breathing issues due to COVID-19. Is it possible that if Evgeny Kuznetsov now has COVID-19 for a third time, has Kuzi achieved a COVID hat trick, a COVID hatty? Uh, hopefully not. Hope Cousy is doing well, but he's now back in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol. Uh, also, Tom Wilson did not play on Wednesday night. He did not play for a second consecutive game due to an upper body injury that he suffered in the 4-2 loss to the Pittsburgh Penguins at Capital One Arena on Friday night. Garnett Hathaway on Wednesday night did not play for a fourth consecutive game due to being in the NHL's COVID-19 protocol, and Anthony Mantha remains out indefinitely, Uh, this due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on November 5th for an injury that he suffered in the 5-4 overtime loss at the Florida Panthers on November 4th. But still, Nicholas Backstrom was back, and that's a good thing. Head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game session with reporters on Nicholas Backstrom's regular season debut.
4: Yeah, I thought he played well. I didn't look at the minutes. Um, 18 and a half. Is it? So it's, um, I I thought that, um, you know, he made good plays out there. I thought he looked good. It was typical Nick. He's smart. He sees the ice. He sees the plays, and I thought he played a good game. Being out that long, you know, he's jumping on a, trying to catch a moving train, I thought he did a really good job.
1: All right, so that was the deal with the Caps on Wednesday night in terms of who was back and who was out. Now to the game. A wacko game. Uh, The Caps overcame a 3 1 second period deficit to at least get a point. That was good. But the Caps lost despite dominating the puck possession battle. Why did the Caps lose? Well, the Caps committed six minor penalties and went just three of six on the penalty kill. Uh, yeah, not a good night for the Caps on the OPK. Uh, And the Caps lost a game in which they crushed the opponent in puck possession. And this was an opponent in Chicago that isn't very good this season. The Caps on Wednesday night per natural stat trick had 55 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Blackhawks 36, including 15 5-on-5 high-danger shot attempts to the Blackhawks 6. The Caps finished the game with 46 shots on goal to the Blackhawks, 28, and yet still the Caps lost the game. Rough night for Ilya Samsonov. He was the Caps' starting goaltender for a 10th time in 13 games. He stopped just 23 of the 28 shots on goal That he faced. Now look, the Blackhawks did score three power play goals. You don't normally crush a goaltender for giving up power play goals, but you know, just because your team is on the penalty kill doesn't mean that you're allowed to just give up, you know, one goal after another. Samsonov per natural stat trick stopped just three of the seven high danger shots on goal that he faced. Did stop all seven of the medium danger shots on goal that he faced, but he stopped just ten of the eleven low danger shots on goal. That he faced. Uh, We did have another great night for the Great Eight, who had another milestone goal and another huge assist. Alex Ovechkin, what a season he is having, uh, and what a game he had on Wednesday night. Ovi had a power play goal, 336 into the second period. Ovechkin had the primary assist on a Connor Sheary game tying, even strength goal, 1957 into the third period. Yeah, the Caps tied the game with three seconds left in regulation. Ovechkin had a game high 10 shots on goal and a game high 11 shot attempts. He did commit a first period hooking minor, but whatever, we can forgive that. Uh Ovechkin's primary assist was massive. He with the Caps playing 6 on 5 with seconds left in regulation while trailing 4-3 from very deep in the left circle in the Caps offensive zone passed the puck to Connor Sheary in the slot. Shiri scored the game-tying goal on a wrister with three seconds left in regulation while going down on one knee and getting decked to the ice. So tremendous moment there for Ovechkin. And then there was Ovechkin's goal. His second period power play goal came on, what else? A one-timer from the Ovi office that is the left circle. The power play goal was Ovechkin's 274th regular season power play goal in his NHL career, tying him with Dave Anderchuk for the most regular season power play goals in NHL history. A tremendous feat for Alex Ovechkin. He and Anderchuk now tied for the most regular season power play goals in NHL history. Uh, Ovechkin this season now, number one in the NHL with 46 points, number two in the NHL with 21 goals, and number four in the NHL with 25 assists. Not bad. Uh, Laviolette during his postgame session with reporters, on Ovechkin, who continues to have a heart trophy worthy season, an MVP caliber season.
4: Yeah, you know, I don't. I, I think everybody knows. I don't know what much more there is to say. I mean, everybody everybody sees and says the same thing. And so, um, you know, he, he. You know what's great about Ovi is that um, that game tying goal. You see his emotion in the game, and that's what makes him special. You know what I mean? He loves the game of hockey, and so to fight back and. Uh, get a point and tie that up. You see, you know, you go back and you watch that. You see how excited he is that, you know, he was able to help contribute in a way to get his team, you know, back to even and force an overtime. So, um, but, you know, it's nice. It was a nice power play goal set up by a lot of people and certainly the finish by him.
1: Yeah. And it was very fitting that Nicholas Backstrom had the secondary assist. On Alex Ovechkin's record tying power play goal. Connor Sheary and Lars Eller each had a goal and an assist on Wednesday night, although Sheary lost the battle for the puck with Patrick Kane along the boards in the Caps' offensive zone, leading uh, to the Blackhawks' game winning goal in overtime. But the Caps did get the point. Next up for the Caps, they are at the Winnipeg Jets Friday night at 8. Well, the Wizards' rut continued on Wednesday night. Another loss for the Wizards. The Wiz fell to 15 and 14 with a 119, 105 loss at the Sacramento Kings late night on Wednesday night. So the Wizards now are 5 and 11 since their 10 and 3 start to the season. Yes, the Wizards now are 5 and 11 since their 10 and 3 start to the season. As Steve Spurrier once said, Okay, we wound up 5-11. Not very good. No, 5-11 is not very good. Uh, the Wizards now 5-11 since their 10-3 start to the season. And oh, by the way, guess who's next for the Wizards? The Phoenix Suns, who have the second-best record in the NBA at 22-5. and five. The Wizards will be at the Suns Thursday night at nine. Although if you have been a Wizards fan for any length of time, you know that the typical Wizards thing to do would be to win this game at the Suns on Thursday night. The Wizards over the years have had a penchant for winning games like this one, a game against a team with a great record in a game that nobody expects the Wizards to win. But the Wiz are in a really bad place right now, and this loss on Wednesday night was a bad loss. Facing a Kings team, that entered the game just 11-17 and 17 this season. The Wizards blew a 12-point third-quarter lead. The Wizards led in the third quarter, 89-77, but then allowed the Kings to end the game on a 42-16 run. Yes, the Wizards allowed the Kings to steamroll the Wizards over the course of the rest of the game to the tune of a 42-16 run. The fourth quarter was a complete disaster for the Wizards. The Wizards lost the fourth quarter 35-16. The Wizards in that fourth quarter that they lost 35-16 went 0 of 6 on threes and just 7 of 16 on twos and allowed the Kings to go 11 of 14 on twos. Take a listen to Wizards head coach Wes Unseld Jr. during his post-game press conference.
4: My message and my frustration is how we're losing. It's not the losses. You know, that's a frustration aside. That's a given. Uh, but yeah, the competitive spirit always isn't there. The, the collective, collective, uh, mindset isn't always there. Um, our care factor is not always there. Um, so it's, uh, that's my frustration. Um, we were a quality defensive team. I don't know if we were as good as we were according to the rankings, but we're definitely not as bad as we've been, you know, as of late. That's bottom line. We haven't changed anything. It's just more, do we care enough to make it a priority?
1: Yeah, that right there is an unhappy Wizards coach in Wes Unsell Jr. And I don't blame him, you know. And Wes, I mean, you hear him say what he said right there, questioning the Wizards' competitive spirit, questioning the Wizards' desire, questioning the Wizards' want to, questioning the Wizards effort. Uh, that's pretty stiff for a head coach to say, my guys ain't always trying right now. But that's what's happening. The Wizards are back to their classic Wizards ways. You know, same old Wizards. We're seeing that here during this 5-10 and 10 stretch. It's really unfortunate. The 10-3 and three start to the season was great. This 5-10 and 10 run has been ugly and has been way too reminiscent of what we've seen from the Wizards way too often for years. Uh, Wednesday night's loss. At the Kings was another bad game for the Wizards on threes. The Wizards went just 5 of 24 on threes. The Wizards are a bad three-point shooting team. The Wizards this season are just 25th out of 30 teams in the NBA in three-point percentage at 32.8. The Wizards did hold the Kings to just 8 of 26 on threes, but the Wizards got carved up inside. The Wizards allowed the Kings to go 37 of 56 on twos. The Wizards got outscored in the paint 68 56. The Wizards gave up 68 points in the paint on Wednesday night. Darren Fox, 10 of 15 on twos. He finished with 28 points. The Wizards did get back Kyle Kuzma. uh, He was back from a two-game absence caused by being in the NBA health and safety protocols. Kuzma in 32 minutes, 44 seconds as a starter. 0-3 on threes, 3-7 on twos, finished with six points, four assists versus one turnover and three rebounds. But the Wizards remained without Rui Hachimura. He has yet to play this season due to personal reasons. The Wizards also remained without Thomas Bryant. He has yet to play this season due to recovery from a partially torn left ACL that was suffered this past January. And West Jr., prior to the game, said that the expectation is that Bryant will be back in January. There had been some talk from the team about December, but it sounds like uh, Bryant needs a little more time. In terms of some individual Wizards on Wednesday night... Uh Bradley Beal, he was good over the first 3 quarters, but he struggled in the 4th quarter. Uh Beal in that 4th quarter that the Wizards lost 35-16, 0 of 1 on threes, just 2 of 6 on twos, scored just 5 points, committed 3 fouls. Now Beal was good over the first 3 quarters, uh 2 of 5 on threes, 9 of 12 on twos, 25 points. He finished the game with 30 points, 5 rebounds and 5 assists versus 3 turnovers in 36 minutes 15 seconds. As a starter, but we had another putrid game for Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, Dinwiddie in 29 59 as a starter, 0 of 2 on threes, just 2 of 6 on twos. He scored just 4 points. Uh, he also had 6 rebounds and 4 assists versus 2 turnovers. But Dinwiddie now, over 7 games in this month of December, is 4 of 24 on threes, and he has totaled a mere 54 points. Over the seven games, 7.71 points per game. Not good enough. Uh, Montrez Harrell in 21 12 off the bench, 5 of 7 from the field, all twos, 14 points, but he had just two rebounds. I mentioned the Wizards being bad on threes this season. Davis Bertons on Wednesday night in 16 29 off the bench, 1 of 6 on threes. Davis Bertons now is shooting 29.8% on threes this season. The reason that Bertans is on the team is his three-point shooting. The reason that the Wizards two off-seasons ago re-signed Bertans to a 5-year, 80 million dollar contract is his three-point shooting. His nickname is the Latvian Laser. He has been more like the Latvian Water Pistol over these last two seasons. Uh, just not good. A bright spot for the Wizards was Denny Abdia. He in 22-29 off the bench went 2 of 4 on threes, 3 of 6 on twos, had 15 points and five rebounds. It's interesting with Abdia. He started in Kuzma's place during Kuzma's two-game absence, and Abdia was not particularly good as a starter. He has been good, though, as a reserve this season, and he was back to being good on Wednesday night. But bad times for the Wizards right now. And after this game at the Mighty Suns on Thursday night, the Wizards then play at the Utah Jazz on Saturday night. The Jazz has the third-best record in the NBA. And then after that, the Wizards are at the Eastern Conference-leading Brooklyn Nets on Tuesday night. Uh, things are not easy for the Wizards right now, and things are not good for the Wizards right now. All right, good job by Georgetown on Wednesday night. The Hoyas improved to 6-4 and four with an 85-73 win over Howard at Capital One Arena uh, wasn't necessarily an easy victory for Georgetown. The Hoyas in the second half led by just four points at 56-52, but Georgetown then won the rest of the game 29-21. The Hoyas were undermanned for this game. Uh, Caden Rice, the graduate transfer from the Citadel, did not play due to a non-COVID-19 illness. Jalen Billingsley did not play due to a non-COVID-19 illness. Point guard Dante Harris dealt with a right leg injury and had a rough game, 0-4 on threes, just 5-13 of 13 on twos, committed six turnovers in 36 minutes as a starter. He did also have 10 points, seven assists, and three steals. And the Hoyas right now are without the seven-foot big man, the Nigerian, Timothy Igwefe. He suffered a broken hand in Georgetown's 91-83 win over Longwood at Capital One Arena, on November 30th. And there was this. Uh, maybe the Hoya's best player, the 6'5, 5 star freshman Aminu Muhammad, uh, had a bad game on Wednesday night. Muhammad fouled out in just 22 minutes as a starter. He scored just four points, committed four turnovers. Uh, Muhammad went 2 of 6 from the field, all twos. Did have seven rebounds, three assists, and two steals. But off the great game, That Aminu Muhammad had in Georgetown's last game. The 79-75 win over Syracuse at Capital One Arena on Saturday afternoon. Aminu Muhammad with maybe his worst game as a Hoya in this win over Howard on Wednesday night. But this was a win for Georgetown on Wednesday night. Uh, Hoyas showed off their depth in this game. Freshman Tyler Beard, he had barely played this season. He played for 30 minutes off the bench. He scored 23 points. Beard went three or four on threes, four or five on twos. Did go to six to ten on free throws, but 23 points. Also had four rebounds and two assists versus four turnovers. Donald Carey was good for Georgetown on Wednesday night. Four or seven on threes, 14 points, eight rebounds, three assists versus three turnovers, and three steals in 34 minutes as a starter. Seven foot big man Malcolm Wilson was good. On Wednesday night, played for just 25 minutes as a starter, but 13 points on 6 of 6 shooting, 8 rebounds and 4 blocks. And Colin Holloway came through for Georgetown on Wednesday night, played for 31 minutes as a starter. 0 of 1 on threes, but 5 of 6 on twos, 15 points and 5 rebounds. Did have 1 assist versus 3 turnovers. Hoyas went 7 of 16 on threes. Hoyas went 25 of 42 on twos, outscored Howard in the paint, 44-20. Georgetown did allow Howard to go 11-25 on threes, but Georgetown held Howard to just 14 of 36 on twos. And the Hoyas won despite committing 23 turnovers. Howard committed 21 turnovers. Like I said, wasn't necessarily easy for Georgetown, but there were some good things for Georgetown in this game. Next up for the Hoyas, home to TCU, Saturday afternoon at 2. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Algaldi. You can email me, the Algaldi Podcast at Yahoo.com. So, like I said in the opening segment, no show for Friday due to a wedding in the Galdi family. Sister Galdi is having her wedding, even though she technically got married a year ago. Uh, so I will be back with you for a show. For Monday, what will be episode 210, and this will be a monster show. Uh, it will, of course, be a Washington football team post game show off whatever happens and off whoever is available for Washington in uh, Sunday afternoon's big game at the Philadelphia Eagles at 1. I'll also discuss the latest on the Capitals, the Wizards, Georgetown basketball, Virginia basketball, Virginia Tech basketball, Maryland basketball does not play again, until three days after Christmas. But have a great next few days, and I'll talk to you on Monday.
2: Um, you know, he's a, he's a young man that hopefully doesn't have to get an opportunity. We'll be okay with that, and uh, we'll go from there.
5: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.